This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. This is a UK Coaching uh, Coach Developer podcast. My name's Tom Hartley and I'm a Senior Coach Developer at UK Coaching. Uh, today I'm joined on the pod by Sally Needham from the Football Association. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us today, Sal. No problem, Tom. Thank you for asking me. Uh, just to kick us off, um, would you mind just telling us uh, a little bit about your background, uh, your journey into coaching, and a bit about what you're doing at the moment? Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, so I started um, in football really from a young age, in a sense of going to football matches with my dad. So that's what really sparked quite a lot of my interest in football. Um, got into playing, um, and then when I went to college was part of um, the college team and part of the role of the captain and the vice captain was to um, try and lead a little bit in the warm-ups and a bit of player ownership and my tutor at the time was coaching down at um, Barnsley Girls Centre of Excellence and it was a centre of excellence at that period Um, and he just said to me actually you're quite good with like organising and well like think I'm is that because I'm bossy uh, but we were like no so he invited me down to kind of help out um, at the girls centre of excellence and it all just evolved then from there so I went and did my level one uh, went and went then to university and stayed close at uh, home so I lived away but stayed enough close so I could um, come home and coach um, so my mum and dad really well did bought me a car so I could drive back uh, so I used to come home and coach uh, through the week and then um, when I was finishing uni did my UA for B and then we're really fortunate that because at the time there weren't that many females around um, when I did my UA for B we got assigned a mentor um, so I got assigned uh, Colin Morris which is Dave who obviously works with the Football Association with us his dad um, and he supported me through my little bit of coaching, but gave me the opportunity to um, coach you to me into a coach development role. Um, and to be honest, that's where I kind of then I saw, saw myself sitting and fitting in coach development um, and still coaching, but um, kind of decided that I'd put my A license on the back for a little bit. Um, and then when I finished university, started obviously, like I said, doing some coach development and I worked for my parents in the morning doing admin and then set my own little company up like you do and went and did um, after school clubs, PPA time, doing holiday clubs and just doing as much coaching realistically as I could. Um, and then I was really fortunate that I got a phone call um, to go and have a chat down in London at the David Beckham Academy. Um, so I went down there and decided that I'd go down there and try my hand in London, which were amazing, the people that I met, um, that a lot of them are in the FA now or still in football, um, were brilliant. Um, so I ended up moving to London and did a little bit of stint in LA. And then, fortunate again, got a role as one of the 66 um, as you did in the skills program um, and moved the FA and I've been at the FA now 13 years and my current role is county coach developer so I oversee Derbyshire as an area um, and I support affiliate tutors 
um, and deliver across an award spectrum of level one, level two, UA for B, and I deliver a little bit on the futsal. And then support coaches on their journeys through that, um, through in situ sports, and then through some um, LCC events and some CPD events. So yeah, a wide variety, but love it. What a diverse journey as well. <laughs> what, what, what's, what, what is it about coaching, Sally, that, that you love? Um, I just love the interactions with the, with the players. So whatever age that is, um, I do love the foundation phase because of um, just how much impact you can have with them and them as children and how you can help support them as children. Um, but... But I still, when I used to work at Doncaster Bells, I still loved working with the first team there. And it's it's just them interactions with the players and that social element to the all. And yeah, it's just trying things, working things out, being together. And I think that's probably one of the, the things around the social stuff is, you know, sometimes when you're out of that environment, you miss working with a team because of the social interactions that you have. Um, so yeah, I think it's just... The relationships that you get from coaching so within your current role as a county coach developer is that yeah. something where where you're supporting a bigger team of coach developers um not really i have we have obviously affiliates that um so tutors that i support so i've got to catch up with them this afternoon about two o'clock just for doing a little quiz um so we support i support them in their elements of understanding to how then they support um their learners um but yeah that's I'm, I'm more work with learners on their journey so i have very much a specific group of learners that i take from a course and then carry on their journey so from the minute they come in the room to the minute they um kind of get the sign off but probably then after that within connections and coming back for advice and things then you're supporting them through through really through it through it all so I was going to come to this later, but but that that kind of support you offer for learners through through their their journey. Are you what what hats are you wearing in that process? Are you are you Sally the mentor, Sally the coach educator, Sally the friend? What what, what does that look like? Um, I'm very much first and foremost around uh, utilizing brain development and neuroscience. Okay. So I'm very much around Sally trying to create this environment and understand the coach that is in front of me, but more the person that's in front of me. So help to get to create an environment that is profitable for learning and then support them through that period. So the thing for me is, is we try to create this environment that, so say on for example, level two, the coach comes in on block one and then, block two and then block three and within that there's a minimum of two in situ supports and it's okay for us to say don't worry about the in situ support we're there to support you we're there to offer guidance and you know which it is it's a it's a it's a an ongoing support mechanism but that's okay if that other person in that situation feels like that if not then i need to recognize how i can maybe help to support that learner um to notice some of the behaviors to help support how i might put things in 
to enable them to get the best learning environment out. Because if they're not in, and um, we'll probably come out later, but if they're not in their social engagement system, so they're not in all three parts of their brain and very open, then they're just surviving. So when they can't see things happening in the session and then you ask them questions after and they can't give the answer, they're clear indicators that really they've just been surviving in that session. So I've probably not done my job right or I've not um, got to know the person enough right to be able to create that opportunity. Whereas when I'm there for that particular point, they are in their most optimal learning environment. Awesome. There's so, so many questions I have. Like so many, I've, I've written notes before we caught up, Sally, but now I have 15 other questions I want to ask you, right? So <laughs> you, you mentioned a couple of things that really kind of stuck with me. Um, so let, let's keep it really, um, first things first, that environment that, that would be really appropriate for a learner on a course. What, what are the key qualities of that environment to make it really useful for them so they feel safe and able to go and, go and be themselves? Yeah, so for me, I've, if you look at it as when we talk about coaching, um, you do it like you before, during and after. Yeah. I think around like now everything in that way. So for me, before even a learner comes onto the course, we've just done some little filming. So before a learner comes on a course, say on a Monday, they'll get an email on the Friday saying, really looking forward to seeing you on Monday. Um, and there's the tutors giving a little bit of a video. So I would say, I'm, I'm Sally, I'm going to be one of your tutors. Um, really looking forward to meeting you. Um, I'm from Barnsley. My favourite colour is green and my main food is Italian. And then the other tutor would come on. And then I would say, and then this is what the programme is on the first day. So they've got some timings and structure to enable, because some learners and some children, and it's applicable to everybody, is they may have not have had a brilliant experience beforehand or they really need structure to help have some certainty and some safety before they even come in. So we have that element of this is what's going to expect in your first day. This is what you need to bring. These are going to be two people that's going to be creating that environment for you. And then as then you get to the, the, the day, um, I would definitely then put the structure back up so it's a visual when they come in. Um, try to have a personal greeting with them. So as in introduce your name and kind of go, oh, nice to meet you and oh, you're from this club and really learn on that. So a personal greeting enables then so a sense of calmness and also, well, within children, it's shown in education that it lowers behaviour and items learning. Um, and then the first morning, I would definitely just get them to sit where they most feel comfortable. Because um, through neuroception, when you walk into something out of your conscious awareness, you will feel, you will sit where you feel most safe. And this is kind of applicable when you're going to Costa or your first morning on an, on an holiday. You'll probably sit at a certain table on your first morning on holiday. And then every day for that next five, yeah. 10, whatever days, you go to the same table. And even if your table is mucky, you take your mucky pots off that and you put it on the clean pots <laughs> in that table because it's where you feel most safe. And it's outdone out of your conscious awareness. So these human pro kind of like social behaviours come to fruition. So the thing for me is, is I'd let them sit where they want to be sitting, but then try to have a connection element so they've got some connection with people in the room. So an arrival activity that enables them to have some connection. And normally we go down the line of the football, but 
you know, just having somebody else that is um, from Derby or is from Chesterfield or has just been on holiday to Barbados or has three children starts the connection process. So I think that's a massive thing for me before we even get into the, the element of learning. So creating that environment that you're starting to build relationships early on, you've primed it hopefully a state of social engagement. So that the fact that then they're ready to, to learn and that they are calm and safe, um, which is the most important thing for them to be able to access their, their thinking capacity to process then the information that's coming in and be up for engagement. So when they are then in their social engagement system and feeling safe, they can give eye contact, they can, in, we can, once we ask a question, they'll be up for giving the answers back and they'll give us those nods that at the front of the room is really vital to kind of build them, them non-verbal cues. So yeah, that's a, a massive thing for me. So is that what a social engagement system is then? Those, those nods, those acknowledgements of, yeah, I understand I'm, I'm on the same path as you. Yeah, so when children, and I, and I kind of go down the line of this way, so a um, couple of scenes ago, we were our first game of the season, we'd got an average age of 17 on our squad and we were playing last year's, well, the last three years champions that scored 146 goals the year before. So we were 8-0 down at half-time and we got in the changing room and some of them are, are nodding and looking at me and some of them are just absent-mindedness. So there's nothing there blank. And that shows that they're probably in life threat or danger Whereas the others that are in their engagement and they're going, yeah, we get it, we get it, but the ball's getting played this way and the ball's coming over, they're in their social engagement system. So they're, they're, they're things that are below the surface that's happening in their brain and their nervous system is, is kind of in control, whereas some of the others were just literally being reactive. And we saw this quite a lot. So like the ball would get played out of the centre half and they'd get to the full-back and that were their opposition's... Um, pattern of play and our centre forward had just run as soon as the touch got taken at the full back and we're thinking that, that that's kind of a common pattern surely she should be preempting that but if she's out of her social engagement so nine off the three parts of her brain and she's just surviving then she's only surviving by literally reacting instead of being proactive so that's kind of where we try and look at now in behaviours. So I think I've gone off a little bit within the football game. It's fascinating. So, um, right, I'm a coach developer. I've got, I've got a classroom in front of me. We're, we're on day two of our course. And I've noticed some people are kind of in that, that survival, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but that, that survival mode. Yeah. How, how would I help make interventions or, or help move a learner from that into engaging their social engagement system? I would say that they're not going to be in it all the time. Okay. So you're not in this all the time. So to notice when they are and when they aren't. So either when they're in big groups, either when you're asking them a question, either when they are working on a table or repair. So to try to then really get to know and notice behaviours from day dot from when they come in around eye contact and when are they like this and when are they not, when, are they, when they're in conversation. And then I will try to then look at that in the elements of putting them in them situations. And then as a coach or as a coach developer and as a tutor, I would very much try to form some more connections. So in a relational approach, 
And whether when we walk into the pitch to do some practical, I try to get into try to have a bit of connection with them even more. And if I've if then I've start to build up a connection, and this is happening on block two, then I might then start to go. I've noticed this, but in theory, um, it's probably I would do that with my players. But when I'm a coach developer, I probably try to just build them connections as much as can, and not probably shine a light on behaviour. Um, yeah, that, that that's that's fascinating. So, in in terms of a a learning environment and a course, and I think that what you've explained about the work you do before with with a video. Um, and those explanations, I can I can just visualise how that would put people at ease and help people understand what they might expect when they when they arrive on day one. What about when you're doing in situ visits? Because the context changes a little bit, and the environment must feel different. And you're stepping into someone else's environment, so you might have to be a bit more sensitive to what what's around. So, yeah. is there anything you do differently when you're making a visit outside of an environment that you perhaps created? Um. Normally, when the situ visits come along, you've normally always had either a block one, a block two, or a block three. So you've had them interactions on multiple times. Mm. Um, but I tend to try to keep the connection within between between the blocks. So one of the ideas we've done is around sending them postcards. Obviously, there's the WhatsApp groups. Um, we've done like the community group on Hive and other bits. Um, so when then I try to build the connections in on a regular basis. So then when I go to the institute, doing the before stuff, normally try to say, um, this is what's going to happen and give me a little bit of run through. And then when I get there, I try to kind of go, uh, is everything okay? And be really conscious and aware about their behaviours. So, you know, um, oh, you seem a little bit rushed, have you? Is, is everything been okay today at work? Okay, well, let's have a little look at then how that might impact tonight. Cost. And you just kind of like acknowledging and reassuring, but validating and tuning to what their experiences are, what their behaviours go to. And the more we can validate and tune and be responsive to them, the more we can help support and be in their three parts of their brain, so all their thinking capacity. And that's what we need them to be in that for the in situ to get the most profitable learning environment out for both for them, really, more than anything. I'm fascinated. Uh, so in terms of your your role as a coach developer, so wh whether that's on a course or on an in-situ visit, whatever, wherever that capacity might be, it, it strikes me as actually your, the way you manage yourself and your own behaviours has to be a little bit different. Um, you, you talked about being an observer and attuning. What are you deliberate in doing when you go out and support people? Um, I think the one thing you've just mentioned there, which is massively round about about me being more on tune. So if I've if I've set off to any seat and I always try and get there, obviously earlier. Say something has happened on the way, and I can catch my stress response system kicking in. Um, I try to have a little bit of a moment before then I go out. So even if I'm a couple of minutes late. Um, I try to just have that moment of sensing in because for me to be in my social engagement system, if I'm not and I am in um, stress response, then it, it then out of your subconscious awareness puts them into even a more heightened state. So you're going to watch them, even though you've tried to label it as, you know, you're there to support and that's what you keep re-emphasizing. Their perception of that might be totally different. We don't know. 
So I think the thing is for me is when I get to somewhere with someone, I try to be as much as I can in my sensing and in my social engagement systems. If not, I can't read up visual cues and triggers. And I can't help, I can't help them to then co-regulate them into their social engagement system. So same within coaching. The big thing I'll say to coaches is, what's your face saying to your players? Because that's where you know and you're recognising and out of your conscious awareness through neuroception, children can pick up on things. So we talk around, you know, animals do. Yeah, it's the same response children do. So out of your conscious awareness, children will be picking up on all your sensory cues all the time. So the thing for me is, is I think as coach educators, but we need to be really aware of ourselves to be able to then support the, the, the learner and the coach that we're supporting on a regular basis. Now, you know, we're only human. So the caveat of that is sometimes we can't be that way. And that's okay because we're in a world a little bit now of everything needs to be perfect, needs to be perfect parents, perfect coach, have the perfect child, the perfect teacher. And you know what? Good is good enough. So I think we need to just be aware that most of our social interactions with people, if we're attuned to them, it's good enough something that struck me recently is it doesn't matter if you're a coach developer talking to a coach or an athlete talking to their coach it's just interpersonal relationships and getting really good at those and and almost removing hierarchy from the situation to an extent so people feel that they can just connect and talk to other people precisely yeah that's it relationships is if you think around it and i've been on loads of wet seminars and something that massively speak around if you think around the systems that we are in and the policies that we are in um realistically we're we're in a we're in a we're in systems that put policy at the heart of it when really relationships should be the fundamental theme that runs through it all so if you think of a coach developer or a coach education system or coaching qualifications you probably the the policy sits through it Whereas actually relationships should sit through it, in my opinion, anyway. You were in charge, Sally. In your dream job, right? What would be your dream job, by the way? Uh, dream job. Um, oh, interesting. Um, I haven't got a title, but I would like to look at... Um, three to eights as an age banding um, within their emotional social development. Oh yeah, the, the little ones, yeah. So if, if, if you're leading a team, Sal, and you're, you're doing something that focuses on, on the three to eight, eight years old, um, what, what would you have in terms of a structure around your program to, to make it work? Um, so- I would first recruit the right people and uh, for people to be um, coaches to validate and attune and be empathetic and be in relationships, um, their brainal neural development have got to be at a stage where they are um, at their end point in the sense of gone through their pruning and gone through their brain development to a point of into their adult brain so 
take that as what you think with that. But I would definitely look at the right people to work with the younger age groups because of being a validating and tuning. Um, I would look at certain non-negotiables of structure um, in a sense of the, like I said earlier, personal greetings, um, structure boards, arrival activities, and getting to know the children massively. Um, we talk around and we hear it quite a bit and controversial or not about being child-centred and athlete-centred. Um, I feel like sometimes, and this is where the line that I went down the line of is, is quite a lot of the stuff is quite surface level. Um, so understanding around you know, the polyvagal theory and neuroscience and the structure in the brain is things that's below the surface. And I think that we as coaches do an amazing job at creating the environment that's above the surface. Um, but we need to obviously understand sometimes how we can support the children that's below the surface. So we do very much do grass level, but can we help support children in our sessions that's very much soil level? Research shows us that, you know, before the age of eight, the soil stuff within relation to, with relation to it's their stress response system. So they're going to a tolerance which obviously forms into resilience is pivotal for their for their success later on in life, just as a child. Um, whether that is then they go on to be in athlete in, in an athlete or a doctor or a mother or working at um, Tesco as a key worker, anything that the soil stuff is pivotal at the first formative years. And for us to know that to help with society and to be put them things in at such a young age is just massive in one for mental health that we're going to put them in it, but performance. Um, you know, I, I seem to think sometimes I had the conversation with Sturge, you know, we've turned a tap on at England at the minute with talent coming through, but Lucy said that the plug is uh, not in. That's a really interesting point. Sorry to put you on the spot with that question about your dream job, Sal. <laughs> people, people ask me that all the time, where you want to be in five years, and you know what? I always come the line of, I want to be still enjoying my work, I'll have an healthy work life and own balance, and actually just just making a difference. And the little ones is the area that I really um, I really enjoy working with. So this area of kind of brain development is, is a huge yeah. passion of yours and a huge area of, I guess, curiosity. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you've seen uh, either when you're out coaching or with what you've been reading that you think will have a massive impact on, on coaches or coach developers in the future? Um, the three things I keep ramming on about. Okay. So uh, <laughs> structure boards, yeah. uh, personal greetings yeah. and arrival activities. Um, and, and we have that in coaching, um, but to the depth of do we know why we have what we have? So personal greetings has just been an area that I've just done some research in around how education have took it and what's the benefit above the surface, so grass level benefit, but then neurological benefit. Um, and then arrival activities is a massive in a sense of We've got um, seven circuits in our, well, seven systems in our brain, and we've all got them. And one of them systems is the play system. So an arrival activity hits our play system. And when children have had wet play in the day, we've got an innate urge to play. We have still, but our play is slightly different now to a, 
three-year-olds play or a seven-year-olds play. And when they um, come into our session and we allow that little bit elements of play at the beginning, so an arrival activity, it enables us as coaches to be able to set up. <clears throat> it enables the children to um, have that element of play that that um, matches their place play, play system. It's proven that it um, lowers behaviour but heightens learning. And it also, on the second element of that, which is what I kind of think um, is so important is, which I referenced earlier, gives us a chance to sense in. Because coaches tend to be rushing from work, especially in, in our setting as grassroots. Or, you know, if somebody's coming off the pitch at seven and I'm rushing on at eight, at seven, sorry, and then I've only got till eight o'clock. But that element of that first 10, 15 minutes of personal greeting, arrival, putting the structure boards down for children that may need some structure um, to hit. We've gone in the bottom of our brain in a sense that if we were in a very simplistic model, we've got three circuits, three systems of fear, rage and loss. And if children need a sense of safety, which you referenced earlier, and need some structure in their life, as they come in and they check the whiteboard, they check the whiteboard where there's got the, you know, the timetables of today on, then that settles them straight in. So they're not asking you what we're doing tonight. Who are we playing at weekend? What are we doing after this? Who's coming tonight? We're coaching. So you're kind of getting them into their three parts of their brain, social engagement system, so they're up for relationships, give you eye contact, optimal learning. Um, so them three things is, is massive for stuff above the surface but below the surface, but enables you to get the children in an area where you're, you're in tune with them. They're hopefully as much as they can be in their social engagement system. So then all you are noticing is behaviours that arrive from frustrations and um, incidents that are happening in the session, understanding that that is a response, their only easy response to what's going on. And that's probably their brain overriding, which it is overriding, to keep them safe. So then we have to notice what them behaviours are. I think, I think even just, just some practical takeaways for either coaches or coach developers, just those three things that you mentioned, just, just they feel like quite simple things to be able to put in place, but could make a, make a huge difference to the experience of, the, of the, either the coaches in their, in their environment or the, or the children in their coaching sessions. That, that's, that's huge. Looking forward, Sal, in 10 years' time, so in 2030, um, do you, do, what do you think might be different about coaching? Or, or do you reckon that we might approach practice in a different way to we do do now? I would hope that neuroscience is included in uh, coaching. So, um, if you was to be trained in clinical psychology or child development, you would understand around neuroscience and probably the polyvagal theory in the brain. If you was to foster and adopt, you'll get trained in this element. When you have your own child, which you'll know, Tom, you get given, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll get like, here you go, learn from it um, and work out it, work it out. And so child mental health and things work off um, this understanding. So my element would be that I would hope that by the time a neuroscience is such a, a, a new field, um, that we come to a point of it's coming into sport 
and coming into football because at the end of the day, we're working with children, our young adults, and the changes then in the brain in adolescence is massive. The changes then later on for when they are then going out of their brain changes. So neuroscience, um, I would hope that it's starting to get transferred in. So we're looking below surface level um, to help support who's in front of us. And Sarah Blakemore is one of the amazingest persons I know in neuroscience. I went a webinar with her yesterday and she fascinates me. And she says that neuroscience is fundamental to teaching and learning. And I totally agree. I think what we've spoke about today and having our kids and coaching and interacting with people, it's, it's, it's fundamental. And it's been my way of developing myself because... I've kind of tried to work out the element of why is that person evoked an emotion in me or how have I behaved with that person and understanding myself below the surface to then impact on how I am with others and kind of notice other things that are happening in the room. And I think that's a major thing. So you've obviously done so much work in this area and studied loads. Where, where, does, uh, where does curiosity live in the week for you? Um, behaviors with people um i'm just curious around behaviors with people and relationships and it's just i read something um and i read very much go away from the football um so i'm very much around i've just read an amazing book about how to raise but how to raise a boy um and that massively just evokes so much in me um, and I, I'm, a, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a, not that I'm um, disengaged with the females because um, I don't at all, but I think there's a massive area of work within boys. Um, and we, I saw it, um, as you know, our um, birthing partner to one of my best friends a couple of weeks ago, and she was having a rough time. And, um, you know, even the two midwives that came in were like, oh, typical boy. You know, typical boy, problem already. And from the minute we are conceived in the womb, um, the hippocampus in our brain is like a tape recorder that stores things. And it's programmed into them quite quickly about boys, about how they should behave and what they should be like. And, and through a lot of like social norms and traditional norms, especially in football, um, it's really interesting to look at and you'll find it with when you're going out shopping for clothes, you have, you know, you have mummy's little princess and daddy's little monster and we give them these labels and how we, we manage with how we, we bring them up. Um, when actually brain structurally, there's no difference in males and females. So it's the way that we shape the experiences with them and the boy's side um, is massively something that, I'm really passionate about. So a lot of those def defining behaviours or the variety of behaviours are maybe socially constructed as much as anything? Socially, yeah. So if you, I'm, I'm fascinated with stuff. So when I take my niece to school, she's four, and I just watch the parents, I'll interact. And with the girls, they're like, let them be more independent. They get their own bag up. They put their own coat up. With boys, it's normally like they're carrying them. They're sorting them out. And it's that's like those constructual things of what girls can play with, what boys can play with, the different colours. And it's and it's it's 
just it just fascinates me how we are with them absolutely and i'm sure everybody listening can probably draw reference to that and and probably think about in their own lives what that looks like to either them or their kids um yeah. so um i could talk to you forever um but i've got a few quick fire questions just to finish off finish yeah. off the pod um so some of these are, are, i can probably preempt the answer from what you said already um <laughs> but but here we go we'll have a go at some of these so don't feel like you need to go into lots of detail just first thing that kind of comes into okay mind. right so um what do you wish you'd known when you started your coaching journey um you know what nothing nothing what? else I've, Why is that? I've, I've really enjoyed the experiences and um if anything not my coaching journey but i wish i'd have done child psychology at university instead of sport and exercise science um but within my coaching journey nothing because i think it shaped me to where i am today um what's been the most important discovery in your career so far um neuroscience (laughs) cool (laughs) one word answer is fine (laughs) um if there was any um really specific advice you could give to anyone whose role it is to support coaches, uh, what would it be? Um, look into neuroscience, um, but validating a tune to who's in front of you um, is massive for me. And to be able to validate a tune, you need to be, or I need to have your own self-regulation intact. Um, so, yeah, so I think try and, as much as you can, be self-regulated, be self very self-aware, and then validating a tune to the experiences of the person in front of you because we can think one thing of why they're behaving this way and it's only this or it's only that but everybody's experiences and life journey and their behaviours that then gets brought out of that is stored differently in the brain and some of their outward behaviours will be a result of their um, experiences before um, picking up threats and going I don't like this and this is what happened before and when I had this assessment or I had this um, coaching um, session this happened don't have your conscious awareness, but it will drive the behaviours that are in front of you. So I would say be very be, be more curious around what's in front of you and validating a tune. Awesome. Uh, two to go. What's your super strength? Um, I would say relationships. I would, I think relationships, yeah. What do the people say that about you? Um, I would hope, I would hope that I'm very... I think I've got good relationships with with everybody that I've kind of come into contact with. Um, There's certain people that I have more of a relationship with. And I've come to realise that I'm very much... um, Fascinates me when you walk in a pub because you just don't know who's who. So I try and just be very similar with everybody. Um, With any interactions that I have, try to be very similar. But then I've also got my own little inner circle that I know that I... I really am more um, and with so I think kind of like a double-edged sword that really a bit of yin and yang because I'm trying to be right with everybody but then I know my I know my inner circle yeah yeah I guess there's lots of layers to relationships aren't there yeah um okay uh what book would you gift to others okay um I've got three if that's all right and only because um the science of parenting is my little Bible that I've got five copies of that I give out to a lot of people. It gives you the understanding of what drives children and the brain processes. It's all the neuroscience stuff, really. But Margot Sunderland wrote it. 
She's a director of child mental health and a centre in London. She's the, one of the main main people within child development and child psychology and mental health. So it's a, it's not a parenting book, but it's understanding actually what behaviours and what's going on. And it gives you a different lens on some of the children's behaviours. That's one. Okay. Second one, if you are working with adolescents, I would look at Sarah Blakemore's book with Inventing Ourselves. She is key in that area and fascinating read. And then if you're working in boys' academy or predominantly with boys or you have boys at home, then How to Raise a Boy, uh, which is Michael Reichardt's work about power of connections in raising an emotionally uh, strong boy. Awesome. Amazing. Final question. Nice place to finish off. Um, who or what inspires you the most? You know what, people, like I got asked this the other day about who, was in, who kind of sparked my thing in coaching and nobody did really, but then I'm influenced by a lot of people. Um, so people in everyday life really inspire me, like my sister that has three children and works and them, as, them, them three as children and my friends that manage in all the different elements of it and I'm really... Um, the one person that really does inspire me in a, in a work context uh, is Sturge, Pete Sturgess. And not because, I mean, his, his, his knowledge and how he looks at things and how he's so far in front of, of where, he, where we are in his thought process. But just, I'm very fortunate that I film a lot with him and his passion when he's with the kids and his energy. And you just can't get him off the pitch. You know, and how he is and that that just him as where he is in his career and what he's done. Um, as a person, he inspires me because how humble he is and how he gets everybody's attention. And he's so in tune with people when they're talking. Um, and sometimes I'm, you know, thinking he's just he's just engrossed with everything that gets said to him and so much in tune. So he very much inspires me as well. Yeah. We did one of these conversations with Pete, actually, which got released on the 22nd of May. So um, if anyone's listening, wants to listen back, it's on the website. <laughs> um, Sally, look, thanks for your time. Um, it's been fascinating to talk to you. And, and I'm sure everyone listening to the conversation will have loads to take away and, and go and reflect on and think about in, in their own worlds. Um, so yeah, thanks for giving up the last hour. No, thank you for asking me, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.